And if you have a helicopter, then maybe there is no such thing as a landlocked property. Yeah, maybe, huh? I guess if it's big enough for a helipad and all that. <laughs> right. Maybe I, people will be flying around on drones in the future. Maybe that's an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. Right? I know. Every week's a wonderful week. It is a wonderful week. So today, we are going to be talking about the eight most common land flipping mistakes to avoid. I'm proud of you for getting that title right. Yeah, yeah. Well... Is it right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Have you been practicing? Yes. I've been practicing in the mirror. <laughs> Eight most common land flipping mistakes to avoid. Very good. Just over and over again. It worked. I got it. It yeah. worked. Well, I'm going to be the moderator today. Okay. And you will be the question answer until I interrupt you, which I'm sure will happen. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So, but before we get into this, what's, what's new going on this week? Last week, we talked about the Silicon Valley Bank collapse this week. Are there any more collapses that I don't know about? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of what Credit Suisse. We'll see what happens there still as we're recording it. I, I think they'll be OK. OK. Will All they right. be turned into a government run hmm. banking institution? All right. Dun, dun, dun. Anything new going in the real estate world other than that? Oh, gosh, you're putting me on the spot here. It's raining here in, in San Diego. So, you know, the world as we know it is shut down and yes. we're all mourning. Yes. People in California have a hard time when, when the, the rain starts hitting. Do you consider yourself people in California or do you consider yourself an East Coaster? Well, that's a good question. I'm about 50-50 now, about mm -hmm. half my life here, half my life in Pennsylvania, where I'm from. Uh, Yeah. Well, I consider myself California now. Okay. So you don't, you don't know how to drive in the rain anymore? No, I know how to drive in the rain because oh. of my background. Oh, oh but, you okay. Know. I, I understand. Well, I mean, born and raised here in Southern California, so I guess I suck, but I know. You're <laughs> the one who said it. I didn't say anything. We did have one glorious, it was a Saturday where it didn't rain. You're right. And we like. We, we got to cut that. We can't complain about the weather in Southern California. No, that's a, wasn't going to make fun of oh. ourselves. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, go ahead. We did have that one glorious day in, in, was it Saturday where it wasn't raining? That was nice. I know. And it was like everybody came out of their shells. Like mm -hmm. people came out and they weren't hermits anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. I don't know. Pretty pathetic, huh? Yeah. Anyways, moving on with that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the the banking industry is, we'll see. The political stuff, we'll see. Uh -huh. uh, real estate, I want to say we'll see. Uh -huh. I think that's like the, that's the reality. It goes back to the anyone who gives definitives has no idea what they're talking about. Right. We'll see. We'll see. Honestly, it really is true but, because there's so many variables, so many different things right. that can happen. But that's, I think, also like a good tie-in to when you're investing in any sort of real estate, you should have multiple, like when you're buying the land, you're buying it cheap enough that even if you had to sell it at what you paid for it, it would make sense, right? Right. And you're looking at it like, how else could I use this? Like the, the main goal is to flip it, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe that's why you explore other ways. So if you got a really good piece of land, you could be like, wait a minute, right? I shouldn't flip this. Yeah, you could you could do something to develop it. You could put a campground on there. You could split it up into five parcels. You could, I don't know, grow something on it. Right. You know, and, you know, we talk about how we're we're pretty wimpy in Southern California, or in California at all about the weather. But if you're making fun of us for that, which is totally cool. You're probably in a place where there's even 
maybe even more opportunity for land flipping. Mm-hmm. Like, right. so if you're identifying that we're pathetic for complaining about the rain, which I agree with you, I love the rain though. But anyways, um, you, you know, in your backyard, you've got like tons of opportunity because there's lots of different things that you could be doing mm-hmm. and probably more land opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. There, there aren't too many land opportunities in San Diego County. Although I know some investors mm-hmm. that do kind of work this area. It's, it's just, just a different, different world. kind. Right. Different. different level, different investment, I mm-hmm. guess you would say. And maybe not as quick. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if, if you're cool with that, go for it. There, there are opportunities. There are opportunities everywhere right. and in everything. Which gets to, okay. Oh, oh, the other thing is um, we pulled a couple of questions we're going to answer at the end. Oh, yes. From our land flipping community, which, by the way, is getting pretty active, I guess you could say. Very, very excited with the way this is going. It's a, it's a land flipping community. If you haven't heard, and if you're not a member yet, why not? Um, <laughs> uh, the land flipping community is a place where people of all ability levels, you know, people that are just starting in land flipping, people that are even experts and making a lot of money in land flipping are all coming together. People that are funding deals are in there. And there's also going to be a core component to that, which is the training program, which is going to be free, by the way. It's not a course. It's a training program. Training program. Big difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's getting close to completion, by the way. Right. I guess that's our other news. We went away for the weekend just so you could write. Right. And I think you shared some candid pictures I took of you Mm -hmm. because the the girls weren't with us. So when they're not there, Pete is my muse. Okay. So it's like I have thousands of pictures of my husband, kind of like people pictures of their dogs. Okay. Pete's my dog. <laughs> okay. But you worked really hard. Yeah. You know, so um, I think you made huge progress there. Making progress, making progress. I don't, you know, I don't want to rush things either. I don't mm-hmm. want to put out something that's junk. Because, no junk here. Because I'm, I'm trying to make something as, as good as I could possibly make it. Right. And, and that goal. goes into two other things that... What's the rising? Come on, help me. Rising with that. tide raises all ships. Right, and also that there's room for everybody, and there's enough land for everybody. A lot so, of land. In right, the that's our our thing. It's you know, yeah, you're going to be teaching people to to in essence compete with us, but not really because there's different areas, there's different specialties, there's different price ranges, just geographic locations. So you really are putting it all out there that everything that you know. And that you do to make the land flipping business a success is what you're sharing. Right. There's something like 3,300 counties or similar, you know, entities in, in the United States. And each one of those county has, counties has a tremendous amount of land. Obviously, we're not in all those areas or not even a fraction of all those areas. So not yet. Not, not <laughs> yet. <laughs> but, you know, I know I know great things will come of mm-hmm. this, uh, putting this free training program out there. We'll be able to partner with a lot of cool people on their deals. So, you know, there, there are a lot of things that will, will benefit from, from doing that. So it's not like it's all out of the gen- generosity of our hearts, but, uh, but it will, uh, I, I do think that uh, it will help a lot of people, you know, achieve their dreams, really. Right. And, you know, we, when we've sold actual courses before, people mm-hmm. would always say that, like, why are you sharing what you know? Because then there's not as much work for you. And that never happened. Right. No. In five years, that never happened. It was never like, well, I'm sorry, you taught those people to do this. So right. we can't work. You know, we don't have any money for you. It never happened. And I know that that's exactly how it'll be this time. So right. we're cool with it. We'll make money. We'll be fine. And hopefully a lot of other people will, too. Right. That's right. OK, so um, as the moderator, I am going to jump in here because I have time constraints. OK, I don't. But you do. So okay. I'm going to keep you to it. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about the eight most common land flipping mistakes to avoid. And mm. I'm reading this, by the way, out of a Slack thread that Pete sent me because I'm looking down and I hate when people like don't explain what they're looking at. Here, I can. What are you up. looking at? Heather? I know, huh? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Not sending enough mail. 
Oh, okay. So we're going to get right into it. Right. Number one, not sending enough mail. But Pete, I sent out 500 letters. Why am I not a bazillionaire? Is that like a bazillionaire? Do you well, I don't that think that's a, a real t- No, term, but do you remember but... that when you were like little, like, oh, I'm going to be a bazillionaire, gazillionaire, yeah. whatever. Go on. Okay. Not sending enough mail. Yes. Mm-hmm. So on average, I'll tell you what it takes in order for us to get one deal, which is we have to send out 6,000 letters in order to get one deal on average. But people get really hung up on that. And I want you to explain, we don't narrow down our lists like some people, yeah, right? There's, there's a couple big reasons for okay. it. We don't put a lot of effort. We haven't historically put a lot of effort into whittling down our list to something that's really, really targeted. Why? Because I'm kind of scared of missing out on people that <laughs> that might be a potential deal. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm paying... Also timing, right? Like Timing, yeah. Right, just don't have the time to... Right, so even if I'm paying $3,000 per deal on average, you know, we 6,000 letters produces one deal, that costs us about $3,000. Mm-hmm. Even if I were to get that down to 1500 but in the meantime, I missed a few deals that would have made me fifty, hundred thousand dollars or something like that. It's just simply not worth it. Right. I'd rather pay like even a higher dollar per deal instead of missing deals. Because that's that's like, one part of my philosophy. Because when you say that, it's like, okay, if you're paying, let's say you say three thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. But you miss a deal. So let's say that you get it down to fifteen hundred and you make fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. I want to change those numbers. So like you say twenty thousand dollars. And then, but you miss another deal that you could make $50,000. Right. So it would definitely make sense to spend the extra $3,000 to get that $50,000 one. Right. Or even the other way around. Exactly. So, I mean, it's just, it makes There's sense. There's different philosophies. Mm-hmm. Some people really spend a lot of effort into into refining their list. And I think that's a good strategy for certain people. It's just, you know, differences of philosophy, I guess you could say. Some investors are able to get it for, you know, a deal every $750 or every $1,500. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a little different in that regard. With all that said, though, mm-hmm. I do think that I want to put a little bit more effort into refining our list over time. So we'll see if I can find a happy medium between refining my list and not missing out on those potential deals. Okay. And in the training program, are you going to cover like both like what we do and that people can do? Of course. Okay. Yeah. I guess to wrap that point up, okay. not sending enough mail. So if you're sending out 500 pieces of mail, probably unless you have an ultra super refined list, that's probably not going to get you a deal. So you have to adjust your numbers accordingly. You know, if you figure out that if you think that on average you can get a deal every $1,500 you spend, you're probably going to have to send out 3,000 pieces of mail to get that. And you know what? The other thing about that is that that's on average over time. So you could maybe that first 3,000 pieces Mm -hmm. of mail you send out produces no deals. It's possible. You might have to send out 6,000 and then you get two out of that batch. So it's just an average over time. Yeah. And you're learning like your area, what you're comfortable with. And sometimes don't like you might not get a response back right away, but sometimes people are sitting on it in it. So you'll think, well, this was a bust. I maybe I only got one. I was hoping to get three. I've gotten responses back after a year plus mm-hmm. of, you know, they had in this letter and they say, hey, you know, is this still, a, you know, are you still interested in buying this property? Sure. Right. Because you're targeting people who don't necessarily even, con- they're not even considered selling. So it's like you're taking kind of cold leads and, and converting them. Right. And, they're, and sometimes people don't know the value of their land or they don't really need the money. And then all of a sudden they need the money or whatever. Okay. Life changes. Right. You know, so don't discount it completely. Hey, everyone. Just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. 
Number two, buying a property that isn't a deal. Mm, yes. Why is that a mistake? Well, because if you're just buying something for retail value or something somewhat close to retail value, it's tough to make any sort of you know, profit on that deal when you go to resell it. Okay. You're going to then just put it on the market and, and end up finding out that it's not worth what you thought it was worth. We talk about like, don't force a deal. That's a great way to put it. Yes, don't force a deal. You know, and the funny thing is, I was guilty of this too when I first got into the land business. Like I would look at deals, I would try to comp or I would try to figure out what a property is worth, but I would try to find the absolute best comps on the market and compare it to those comps and say, oh, this property is just as good as that one. I think I could sell it for that, which is top dollar. And it may, it may, but then after I did a number of deals, I realized, oh, okay, it's probably not the best to use those highest, you know. Well, how long were they sitting there too? Right. Finding that perfect buyer that only wanted that one piece. You exactly. Know? Like, so I realized over time that, okay, I need to be conservative in my projections. And if I beat those projections, that's great. But I don't want to pay too much for a property. So I kind of look for the cheaper comps that are similar to that particular property and base my projections off of that. Okay. And then the next one kind of goes into that, that don't buy junky or problem properties. Oh, okay. Don't buy junky or problem so properties. So what's a junky problem property and why shouldn't you buy it? Well, for instance, I never buy landlocked properties. I bought one and that taught me a lesson that I will <laughs> never buy anymore. Some investors love landlocked properties and solving the problems and issues that go along with that, maybe establishing access or something, but I don't like it because it's kind of a problem. It's a problem. It yeah. Time, yeah. And, and if you don't know what landlocked is, it's essentially a property that's an island in the, in the, in a, a land. Basically there are neighbors all around it and there's no way to actually get it's to like, that there's property. There's no driveway. There's there, no Yeah, exactly. Road. There's no, there's no legal or physical access to get there mm -hmm. unless you have a helicopter. And if you have a helicopter, then maybe there are there is no such thing as a landlocked property. Yeah, maybe, huh? I guess if it's big enough for a helipad and all that. <laughs> right. Maybe I, people will be flying around on drones in the future. Maybe that's a, that, that's an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, but I, <laughs> yes, maybe. If that sounds interesting to you and you've really studied it up and you know how to mitigate that, you'd have to pay off a neighbor, you'd have to research an easement. That, I, I don't know. Sell that, it to a neighbor. Sell it to a neighbor. Right. That would be the best way. Yeah, you could maybe buy one and work on it, but it's just not like that. That's not your goal is to move that money quick and to sell it quick. Right. And nothing like that's going to be quick, right? Quality properties sell quickly. They do. Mm -hmm. As long as you price it right, a quality property will sell. If it's a junky property, you got to price it really, really cheap in order to sell it. What's like another example of a problem uh, property? Uh, yeah, problem junky property could be something that's all a swamp, could be something that's on the side of a mountain that. <laughs> you might have access to it, but what are you going to do with it? You can't like, build it. The slope yeah. is like, you know, like mm -hmm. this. I, in a floodplain? In a floodplain, that, yes. That floods a lot. Like, right. But if the entire property is in a floodplain mm -hmm. and it's, you know, beside a river that, you know, completely encompasses the property, that, that's tough to do anything with it. I mean, it's recreational property, but, but it's tough to build anything there. So different things like that. Next uh, to a pig farm. Hog farm. A hog farm. Or yes. was it hog, hog lagoon? Farm. Hog lagoon. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a problem. That's basically a pond of hog sewage. Right. Terrible. Or maybe it had, it was an old dump. Yes. Yes. An old <laughs> dump. That would not be good. Uh -huh. That would be a problem property. Right. Or it has toxic waste on it. Yes. That would be a problem property as well. <laughs> property like that, you know, I would almost view it as uh, instead of an asset, I would, I would view it as a liability. Yeah. You've got to clean that up. Right. Why would you buy something that's going to be a problem for you? Right. I mean, unless that's what you specialize in. 
but you need to have some specialized knowledge. You need to have money to put into that. And you need to have a thick skin because I'm I'm sorry, I'm not dealing with a toxic waste spill. No. Or a hog lagoon. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> not responding to leads quick enough. What, what number is this, by the way? Thank you for asking. It's number four. Number four, not mm-hmm. responding to leads quick enough. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. In, in real estate, <laughs> that was as a real estate investor, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things that you can do is responding to leads as quickly as possible when they come in, because that's when people are hot. That's when they've got it on their mind. The longer you wait to respond to a lead, this is uh, true in a lot, of, a lot of sales, really. The longer you wait to respond, the harder it is going to be to get a hold of them. And when you do get a hold of them, they might have... You know, they created some change. sort of yeah. like issue in their mind. Like, oh, this uh-huh. person doesn't care about me. Right. I'm, you know, maybe they called another investor. Uh-huh. I don't know. You know, and that's why we use the phone answering service. First of all, because they answer the phone 24 seven. They call at midnight on a Saturday. The answering service will be answering it. Uh, then obviously they get sent to our team. But the quicker that we can get back to that lead, the better. And the better our conversions are in changing that lead to an actual, you know, signed deal. Right. I, I mean, I think we can't overstate that. The fact that if someone takes the time to call you or contact, even responding to an email would be the same way or a mm-hmm. text message. It's a much better results if you contact them right away. Exactly. Then you let them create issues in their minds that don't exist. Or you're right, contact even somebody Even if you're else. just touching base to ask them some more questions. Right. You know, just to make a connection with them mm-hmm. means everything. And then let them know what to expect. When are you going to be able to get in touch with them again? So there, you know, there's no no gray area there. Okay. Number five, sending mail to the wrong areas. Yes, that's a problem as well. Sending mail to the wrong areas. This happens if, say, you're sending mail to the middle of the desert somewhere where there's just very little activity. And if there is activity, maybe the properties are worth so little that it's really hard for you to make anything off of. You know, there are areas like that all throughout the United States that are really pretty uninhabited areas. And that means that there's very few buyers kind of looking in that area. So if you don't have the buyer side of that transaction, you know, you might have a bunch of landowners maybe that are even willing to sell to you for a cheap price. But if you don't have that buyer side, uh, you know, active buyer pool that's ready to buy those properties when you go to resell them. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, you'll either be sitting on the land for a while or you're probably going to have to reduce it so much that you're probably not going to make much anything. And then let's, let's do the flip side. Like, could the market be too hot? Yes. And I've, I've made that mistake myself. I've sent into areas that are way too hot, you know, meaning that there's basically no inventory on the market. Anytime anything gets listed for sale, it's snapped up right away at top dollar. So in those cases, it's really hard to get off market type deals because, you know, people, people are living in that market generally. They know that that's a really hot market. They know that their land is worth more and more. So it's just really hard to put deals together in those areas. And the responses that you do get in those type of areas are the junky or the problem properties right. that we were discussing a little bit earlier. So number six, overpriced your properties when you sell them. Overpri- oh, okay. You- oh, overpricing your properties Over- when you sell when you I'm go sorry, to sell them. I'm sorry, somebody had a typo in this question. Okay, well, I typed it on my phone. I always <laughs> typos on my phone. <laughs> overpricing your properties when you go to sell them. Big mistake to avoid because... Say, for instance, I buy a property for $50,000 and I see a comp out there that said that it's 150000 You know, it may have taken, you know, eight, nine months to sell, but 
I think mine. I think my. I think my property is exactly like this property, and I can I can sell it for one hundred fifty thousand too. The rest of the comps you're looking at suggest maybe ninety to one hundred ten thousand, something like that. But you feel really strongly about your property, and for whatever reason, you think you can get one fifty for it. So you list it on the market for one fifty. It sits there. No one, no one offers anything on it because they feel like you're looking for top dollar only. You might have a bunch of people looking in that 90 to 110 range. They're very interested, but it's too far off. Then you decide, okay, I'm going to reduce it 10,000. Same thing, no action. I'm going to reduce another 10,000. Same thing, no action. Then I'm going to reduce it to 120. It's a little bit above those range those people were looking, but then they're starting to think, what's wrong with this property? Right. Well, because you're chasing it down to like, you know, and in a declining market, that's chasing it down. But you're starting, you're setting yourself up for failure there. And really what you should be doing, yeah, from the beginning, he, sh- he she, I'm going to blame him. It's got, obviously it was a guy. Okay. Um, you know, starting it way like that, that's exactly what you put down in people's minds. There must be something wrong with it. It hasn't sold. Right. Now, if you want to sit on that property at that price, you know, let's see, 1963 to now, you know what I mean? You, if you've got that kind of time on your hands, sure. But like your money needs to be moving. Right. So what should they have priced it at? And maybe should they have bought it cheaper? Right. So if I see comps from 90 to 110 and I, th- I feel like it's a really nice property, it's an active market, things are selling. I'd probably price it at 99,000, 99.9 right away, because that's always a good break. If you can right. price it right under 100,000, that looks more appealing to people. Feels cheaper. Then you might or have, more of a, you might uh, get it. Yeah, you might get an offer at, at 90. You might get an offer at 105, right. you know, if there's multiple people involved, something like that. But I don't push it to where the comps are. I price it at a point where I know it's going to get activity and I know it's going to sell. Uh, it's going to be in the range to sell. It's like the first impression. Yeah. And if I'm making a profit on the deal and we can sell it quickly. We're good. We're good. And you wouldn't, I mean, you would still offer that 50,000, right? You wouldn't, or or would you have, if you were planning to sell it for a hundred thousand, would you have paid 50,000? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd pay 50,000 for it. Yeah. Uh, a property that would sell mm-hmm. for a hundred thousand. I would too. Yes, definitely. I'd pay even a little more. <laughs> right. But right. Okay. If, so, it, if it's a market I'm confident in. Right. Yeah, and you could still get those home run, home runs where you know you pay that and ends up selling for a lot more. Right, and we've had this happen mm-hmm. a lot of times too. If you price, if it's a good property, you price it reasonably from the start, it'll get bid up sometimes anyhow. Right, and that's much better than you know chasing your lowering your prices as opposed. Like you want that. That's right. that's a good thing. Okay, sure. number seven, not hiring an agent or hiring the wrong agent to sell your property. Did we do number six already? Yeah, overpriced. Oh, okay. That overpriced was a, your properties, over, Peter. Okay, overpriced. Okay, so number seven is what not, again? Not hiring an agent or hiring the wrong agent to sell your property. Oh, I yes. don't know why I'm having problems saying that one. It's like, ah. <laughs> I forget. And you, you mean broker too, agent, broker, interchangeable. Yes, yes, exactly. When I say agent, it's the same, the broker. A real estate you know. professional. Even though they're not the same. Right. Uh, we use the term, terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So, and by the way, we should probably back up a step. Agent and broker. A broker is typically the person that runs the office as in charge of a bunch of agents. A lot of times they do real estate deals themselves, but in a lot of states, that's the way it's it's, uh, it's structured. The right. broker is and in charge. I should point out, Pete was a broker and I was, yes. you still are a broker. Yes, I still am. And in 1863, I was an agent. 1863? Okay, it might have okay. been like 2000 something, but <laughs> I sold a house. You did sell a house, yes. Best you were a top salesperson that month. That day. That day. <laughs> so that's the difference between an agent and mm-hmm. a broker. 
Are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. So I always try to work with an agent or broker on any of our deals that we do. First of all, we're sitting here in Southern California. We're buying and selling properties all over the country. Each neighborhood is so different. Each area is so different. So it's really kind of invaluable for us to have a local partner on the ground that knows that area, knows things to look out for, gives us their opinion on what the property is worth. And I think you're just really selling yourself short if you don't use a local agent to represent you on the sale of the property. Well, if you think about it, like in your own community, you know that, oh, this is and every community has better areas than other areas. Right. Maybe they're not horrible areas, but you know that this one area is is more desirable than this one over here. But looking at the map, you would have no idea. No idea. Right. And they look exactly the same. But and you're like. Well, well, why? Or you get some random property that right here it's sold for a million and right here it's sold for 500,000. You're like, well, why? You know, like, and you can't figure it out. An agent in that actually knows the area would understand exactly why. They would also know, you know, does the area perk? Like, do they need septic? Is it on sewer? I mean, you could find these things out, but they would be able to say, oh yeah, those will never, never been able to get one to perk over there. Or it's almost a sure thing. And of course you could bring in more professionals to give you even more information on that, but they're invaluable. Invaluable? Yeah, they're invaluable. Invaluable. Yeah. And for instance, and and a lot of these agents and brokers that you're working with, they've got a marketing system in place. They've got a buyer's list of people actively looking for land in those areas. And they know the buyers that typically buy that land, right? Exactly. They'll, they'll, uh, they carry a legitimacy, you know, any property that they list People in the area, land buyers in the area know that this person is legitimate. It's a real thing for sale. If I, if I'm, you know, listing a property myself and some guy from California listing it in, you know, Maine, something Mm -hmm. like that, they're going to look at it kind of side-eyed, like what what is going on here? This is, this is a weird situation. I guarantee, I I can't guarantee, but (laughs) I would imagine in nine out of 10 cases, the agent will be able to get that extra little premium over what you'd be able to get just because they have legitimacy and they have a marketing system in place. And, and they're uh, there. They can go there. talk to the neighbor. Like they can go say, hey, does anyone want to buy this? You know, I'm listing this property. They can talk to everybody. They can talk to people in the office. They, right. I mean, and also maybe if you don't have an escrow company figured out, they can help you with that or. Exactly. Yeah. And that commission that you think you'd be saving by selling it on your own, it's you're 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 rarely going to actually make that that difference up. It's always best, in my opinion, for our system to to use an agent or broker. We didn't even talk about the fact that then you're answering these calls and these, you know, what I mean, like you're inundated, hopefully, with buyers and sellers agents contacting you saying, you know. Yeah, they're like, hey, can you call you or up? Not and buyers, say, not sellers agents, but yeah, you know, yeah. They're calling you up and saying, hey, can you show me the property? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I can't show you the property because I live on the other end of the country or like oh. hey that one thingy that one tree what like i really want a place with this one kind of tree. like you're like i have no idea what trees on that property yeah. or what you know what i mean you've never even been there all right and, and a buyer will you know i'm sure this this you know happens you know a buyer would call up and say hey can you show me the property no i can't i'm i'm in california you're in maine 
Okay. And so then they start thinking in their mind, there's something weird with this deal. Yeah. Does like, he even I'm, own it? Is this a scam? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So you have all those type of things that come up. And if you're dealing with a local professional, those things just aren't issues. Do you think some people just don't like you because you're from California too? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, they maybe don't know that I'm from the East Coast. And Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Excuse me. <laughs> But I think it's just it's not like I was born here or anything. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I identify as a honorary pencil. I make fun of you, though. I call you a pencil tucky. Pencil tucky. Yeah, and nothing, so. nothing. I uh, love wrong Pennsylvania. With... Okay, what or about Kentucky? Kentucky. Okay. But I just think it's a funny, like, play on words. So. Okay. Wow. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Well, there is a second part of oh, that, okay. too. Okay, so what's the second part, though? The second part of that mm-hmm. was not hiring an agent, but not hiring the right agent oh, to yeah. work with. That's a big mistake that can happen. Uh, if you just hire someone that's maybe used to selling houses, mm-hmm. they're not a land specialist. That's a big thing that I see happen. The other thing is there's... Well, oh, people have good intentions, right? They might tell you, oh yeah, I could totally do that. And it's not about their intentions. It's because there's specialized knowledge that they need to have. Yeah, like if I were to, if I had an apartment building, I probably wouldn't list that with a regular residential agent. I would list that with a broker that deals in apartment buildings. Right. But uh, the other part of that is that there are varying levels of motivation and skill when it comes to the agents out there. So some agents are great. Trying to put this nicely. Some agents are not so great. Some Mm -hmm. agents are very motivated. Some agents are not very motivated. Yeah, maybe they were at some point, but they're not anymore. Exactly. It's fine. and, And people, you know, view... You know, the real estate business, you know, as being an agent, some people view it as, you know, kind of a just a side thing that they do here and there. They work with some friends and family and they just do a couple deals here and there. Spending money. Right. And some people are true professionals about Mm -hmm. it. They build a whole business around it. They're very, very serious. They'll do anything they can to put deals together, sell properties. I mean, wow, they're, they're, I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> not <laughs> no. anything, but <laughs> you heard it here, but, folks. <laughs> but they're very motivated and and excellent resources and great people to work with. They love real estate. This right. is their job. This is their calling. You want those people. You want right? those people. Yeah. So it's OK to to interview numerous people and kind of give them a test, you know, give, give them a test, give them a call, see if they call you back right away. Send them an email, see if they email you back right away. Because ask them. What, because because what? if they don't call you back or email you back, they're not going to do that for a buyer. Exactly. And then your deal will fall apart. Right. So I, th- I think you can understand, you know, maybe how to find a good agent. But we can we can go into that deeper at a, at a different time. But just try to work with the best people in a, in a particular area. It'll make a huge difference. It'll make a huge difference. Number eight. Number eight. Being inconsistent with your mailing. Yeah, this is. This is kind of my thing. And we learned. It wasn't. It was on, an on-purpose inconsistency during the summer of that year. Yeah. So a big part of what I do and a big part of any of the results that we've achieved is because we are very consistent with our mailing. So previously we were, you know, up until recently, we have been sending 50,000 letters a month. Oh we're, my God. What? Okay. 50. Yes. And 25,000 on the first, 25,000 on the 15th or right around there. We were. Yes. I'm just kidding. I knew that. Okay. And then, but now our new directive <laughs> is to double that. Mm-hmm. So that just means that the numbers are doubled. 50,000 on the first, 50,000 on the 15th. And maybe we'll double it again later in the year. I don't know. We should. We should. And we're building up a team of people to help us to handle that. Right. So if, Preemptively. You, if you are a land investor and this is typically how it works. Could you a, do that on your own? What? 
50,000. I mean, I could. It could, takes no, a lot honestly, of time. Could you? I mean, I could. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't have time for doing everything. You mean like all parts of the business? Yeah. You'd have to do every single thing if you had no, that much. No, I couldn't. There'd be, there's no enough time in the day. Okay, go on. No. <laughs> you need a team around you if you're, you're doing those kind mm -hmm. of numbers. So as a land, I see land investors do this all the time. They'll send out a batch of 5,000 letters mm -hmm. or something like that. Good, you know, good amount of letters. And what happens is they start getting really busy. A couple of weeks after the letters hit, they start getting a lot of calls, a lot of emails, a lot of interest. They start trying to put together deals, get really busy, focus on that. They're not thinking about their next batch of mail. And what happens is they get really busy, really busy for a while. They real at some point the activity dies off and they're like, okay, uh, I should probably get another batch of mail sent. Takes some time to put that together. They send it to the mailing company, takes a little time to process, gets sent out. This is standard mail. So it may take a couple of weeks to hit the mailboxes of your, your people. And by that time, you know, you've hit this valley again. And it's just this continual like ups and downs, ups and downs when it doesn't have to be that way. If you're very, very consistent about your mailings, you're going to have a steady lead flow at all times. Right. And I think that you nailed it there. Just you need to have a like just put it on your calendar. So make it separate from the activity you're doing right now. Like, you know, you do that no matter what. You always have that because what we experienced was when we were like, OK, we're going to be going across country. We've talked about it before, but. Um, let's pause because you were handling more of the stuff. And how would you do that if we're driving across the country, which we thought in theory would be fine, except for that. Then it created this whole lag. Like there was a good, what, six weeks where it was yeah, quiet. It was a problem. Right. And then, you know, and, and as everyone knows with inflation right now, cash sitting in the bank is stupid. And we, since we fund our own money, I fund our own money, fund our own deals, mm -hmm. fund our own money too. Yes. We fund our own money. Wow. We're so a printer advanced. over there. Yeah, or something. I know. Hmm. But <laughs> You know, I mean, that that actually cost us money. You lost money. I lost uh, yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. That cost us a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Probably way more than what we spent on the actual trip itself. Right, which was a lot. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that the, had we just said, okay, well, we're, or at least planned ahead. Okay, we're going to need these, these, you know, backtrack the two weeks or something like that. But that's why you build up a team and. You're right. Yeah, we, yeah, in hindsight, definitely should have planned that ahead. So it would have just gone out on that, that schedule. But mm -hmm. you have to set aside some time, no matter what. You have to prioritize some time where you're getting these mailings together and getting these out on a regular basis. And there's one thing that you can, tr can control. It's that. Right. I mean, you can control, you know, how many pieces of mail you send out. Whether you actually take the time to do it is another thing. But, you know, I think that you also said that you can control that. And if you're somebody who maybe doesn't like to reach out to people or something, like if they're reaching out to you, it's hard to ignore them. Like, I think you'd feel internally conflicted if you didn't respond. So if you, that could kind of force yourself, push right. yourself past where you're comfortable and, and do that. Um, and, you know, then there's people we've talked in the past that, that do the plan thing where they only do certain mail, you know, they send out a certain amount or whatever, or they plan it that way. And that's fine too. Like maybe if you're a tax professional and you can't handle it during certain months, that's the other kind of beauty of it is that you can do that. You can control it. But if you're going all in on this, you need to be consistently sending it out or you need to understand what the consequences are. So you can't be kicking yourself and being like, I have no leads. It's not working. I'm not making as much as I wanted to. And we're like, OK, well, did you when's the last mail you sent out? Well, I mean, you know, it was eight weeks ago mm -hmm. or I only sent or the other thing is I didn't send out enough letters. I think people kick themselves when they're first starting. They're saying, well, I sent it out and I didn't get anything. Well, it's like, how many did you send? How many areas have you tried? You know, it's like you can't. You can't discount or you can't be uh, mad at yourself 
when you haven't done what it takes to be successful. Well, that was well, deep. No, that was well put, Heather. That was very well very put. Very deep. Okay, so I would like to move on because to the question section, if you are up for that. Sure. Let's, okay. Let's go. Okay. By the way, these questions are pulled from our um, community, our land flipping community. And these were actual questions that are posted in there. We just pulled two and uh, we're going to try to keep it as kind of a regular segment where we'll pull some questions from our community and then we'll answer them in the podcast here. Yeah, so post them and maybe they can say like, hey, Pete, this would be, you know, if you have time to, or we can just randomly grab them, whatever, whatever you want to do. <laughs> okay, this is from Zach. His uh, title is Key Criteria, Have to Have It. Good morning, everyone. Question for the land flippers. What is the key criteria you use, look for in a potential lot and why? What makes it a must for you? Okay, so it really depends. This Are, is a lot. If you were buying, you know, say a rural property. This is a lot. Okay. Back myself up. Yes, that's hilarious, Heather. Thank you. Okay, if you're buying rural properties, which is what we do generally, mm -hmm. I mean, there's rural properties you can buy. You can also buy what they call infill lots, which are random open lots in a city yeah, or, some, or suburban. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'm going to answer it if he's asking about rural lots, rural properties. Just say rural uh, one more time. Okay, so, so <laughs> rural, I can't say that right, I guess. Um, <laughs> so these, uh, some, some of the key criteria that I look at, and each property is different. So mm -hmm. one property may have one of these attributes and not another, vice versa. But I look for these types of things. And if it's got all of them, great. First of all, I look for road frontage. And that's always better than a property that's maybe back a uh, uh, private lane or something like that where it's not on a public roadway. And generally, the more road frontage that it has, the better. That's like the length of the, length of the land against the public roadway. Uh, always easier to sell when it has a lot of road frontage. I look for properties that don't have some sort of crazy topography. By that, you haven't I, shared all these tips before. I haven't. I don't think so. Mm, Go on. Okay. Um, I look for you know properties that are either flat or gentle or rolling topography, but properties that are really really steep, uh, they're tough. No cliffs. No cliffs. Yeah, <laughs> no cliffs. Definitely. That's a that's an issue. Uh, so you you know. The better the the kind of the the gentle the yeah land. gentle the more gentle the easier it is to sell. Now sometimes, do you have a great deal under contract? Well, submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, we will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. Properties in certain areas are known for their views. Mm -hmm. So that could be some one sort of deviation from that. Like if you're if you're selling a property that's going to be a view home site or something like that, it's tough to get it with where it's flat or even gentle and have that great view. So, you know, but you would on, still want enough flat land. You need enough area right. to build. I mean, sure. I know that people can dig into hills and stuff, but they get or mountains, but that's not what you're looking for. Right. You're looking for like where it could have a home site with the view. Like, but that comes down to the community character that you've hopefully researched and an agent's talked to you about too. Right. The other thing is, I look for. You know, properties that have, say, nice trees. If it's an area where there's a lot of trees, I look for properties that have nice trees. And that, you know, they're not all cut down. You know, maybe have some nice meadows or, you know, generally just properties where you would walk on it and say, hey, this is 
this is a nice property. I would like to own that. So you try to put yourself in a potential buyer's shoes and just think, is this nice? Is this, or is this junky? You mm-hmm. know, other things I try to avoid would be stuff like wetlands. Although we do, do buy properties with some wetlands on them. It just kind of, if they're larger properties, it's kind of tough to avoid in some areas. Uh, properties that have too much um, flood zone or, you know, I like properties that have streams going through them sometimes, as long as they're not, you know, streams that kind of um, flood the property all the time, something like that. So it's nice. So, you know, some of those types of things. But, you know, those, those are the general things that I look for. And, um, you know, if you've got a lot of those characteristics, you've got generally got a pretty decent property. I think the other thing, too, is that the more you do this, you're probably not even aware of that. You're not like going into this property and like your checklist. You're looking, you already have it in your mind. Like these things are popping out to you. And the more you do it, it becomes almost like secondhand. Like you're just actively looking at it and you might not even realize why no, this won't work. And you probably have to ask yourself, why won't this work? You know, I think a key part of it, and I always, I always think about it this way. Like always think about it from a potential buyer's perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, like put yourself in their shoes. Like what, what do you think of this property when you're walking up to it? Who would buy it? Who would buy it? What would they use it for? Right. And right. Would you be comfortable or want your family here? Mm-hmm. Could you see yourself building a house here? So if you see a property with a great road frontage, but it's so steep and it goes along the, the side of the road like that, and there's no real clear place to even drive onto the property or something like that, probably not a quality property right. that you're, you're going to look for. Right. I like all those. Those are ones you haven't really talked about before. Hmm. So I like this question, and we've talked about it before, but I, I think you should go in depth on this. Roger asks, how to handle angry people? Uh, I'm getting my first calls back from mailers I sent out. That's an important part. Wait, he's getting his first calls back. Um, I sent out about two to three weeks ago. So far, it is all people being upset by my offer or wanting off my mailing list. Does anybody have luck turning these people into sellers? If so, how? Am I better off sending all inbound calls to voicemail and just deleting the complainers? Uh, Second part, when people request to be taken off your mailing list, do you actually do anything? Seems to be a manual process to monitor that request. Does anybody have the legal, does anyone know the legal ramifications? So in true Heather fashion, we're not legal professionals. So please do not take Pete's advice or what he's saying as legal advice. But I think the point he said about he's getting his first calls from this mailer. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it always takes this same trajectory. When you send out a batch of mail, the first people that are going to call are the people that are upset about your offer. They're upset about your offer price. They want to be taken off your mailing list. They're insulted by your, your offer. It's just a, a letter they got in the mail. So I understand. But it was just like so, so mean so, and personal. Yes. And these are not, obviously, these are not properties that we're investigating at all beforehand. We're sending out based off of averages in a particular area. So there's no reason to be insulted. But I digress, digress, right? Yes. Did I say it right. Like Anyhow, so it always follows this trajectory. You get the angry people at first, the people that are upset. Then after that, after that settles down a little bit, then you start getting the people that are actually serious and interested in putting a deal together. Which makes sense because they've been thinking about it. They get that letter and they're like, huh, oh, I wasn't really even thinking about selling it. Wait, maybe I should sell it. Right. Wait, that car over there, I want to buy it. Let's sell it. You know what I mean? But, but okay, I want to also touch on when you're talking about that. Have you ever, have any of those people ever turned into into a sale opportunity or a buy no, opportunity? No, Right. If any of those angry people... And that's why we use a call answering service, by the way, because it does wear down on you if you're trying to take all these calls and answer them yourself. It's nothing personal <laughs> to you. It's just, but to them, they, they maybe it's, it's personal to them. You know, the land has 
meaning to them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I guess I understand all that. Well, but, their Mima and Papa could have bought that and it's been in the. You right. Know, and then a, you sent them an insulting offer. Right. Even but, though it would never have had that value. Right. So that's why we use a call answering service. Mm-hmm. And their main job really is to kind of filter out people that are interested in selling and people that are not interested in selling and just want to call up and complain. So it's actually part of our script that, you know, we, we don't really, you know, attempt to engage these people mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. We don't try to change their mind, nothing like that. So we just ask them, you know, whatever the reference number was from their offer. And then we take them off our mailing list. Do you take them off your mailing list? Yes. Okay. Yes. For future lists and, and future mailings, we record those people, uh, their reference number and their name and stuff. And then we just uh, fill them out off, off future lists. So okay. it's possible that we could miss them or something like that, but we we make every attempt to try to keep them off our future Right, because they could have like another property that, but we do try not to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no sense in us trying to remail them again if they're not the type of people that will want to sell to us in the first place. Right, and then the legal aspect of it, there's certain states that have actual laws against mailing, like what is Southern? Or so, um, um, well, there there's a there's some gray right area in there. Right. Um, you know, some investors, there are certain laws on the books where you can't use like public records for marketing purposes. But some people, some investors of the are of the opinion that this is not actually marketing, you're actually trying to buy their property. So it's it's not like you're trying to sell anything to them. So there's, there's gray area. No one knows that the real but do you know of any words actually Illegal to mail someone? Uh-huh, a no. letter. Okay. And also, I guess on this flip side, that if you were to, like, everyone's doing their best, right? So I think that the big thing is it's it's how you handle it. Like, okay, you know, take you off the list. No problem. Exactly. Have a great day. Like, you're not trying to be like, but is there any way that right. I really do want to buy this? Because then it's just going to piss them off more. Right. And that's, I think, where you get into trouble. There's no national do not mail like mm-hmm. list okay. or anything like that. It's, you know. I think there may be some some sort of registry that people could register for, but it has no bearing. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. So. Okay, so I think the best way to handle it, and you know, you're a pretty optimistic, strong person mentally, and all that kind of stuff. What about physically? And physically, okay. definitely, definitely physically too. I'm not like that would wear me down, right? And and even though you're pretty, you know, strong mentally it would still wear you down getting oh yeah yeah i I wouldn't want to spend my day taking those type of calls that's why we hire the answering service and people have said some pretty crazy things pete reese you sob you right like sometimes i send letters back and they're kind of funny yeah so i've got a whole section in our community where people can post those so yeah i haven't seen many anyone really posting those yet but maybe i'll post some more in there i posted a good one but i'll post some more and here's the thing they don't know you personally so it's not like even if they were to, like you, you have to say, OK, this is someone that probably has a sentimental value. It's it. There is no amount you could offer them that they would be satisfied with. Right. Well, maybe. But you know what I mean? So it's not you're not intentionally trying to hurt them. Basically, don't worry about these people. Exactly. Move on. And, and don't try to waste your time trying to get a deal that's get, not going to happen. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, that's it. I mean, so we got our, our eight. What was it? I don't I don't remember the title. But, but anyways, we got it. And we got them answer all. questions. If you've got more questions for us. Post them in the community. Yes, which link below this video mm-hmm. if you're watching it on YouTube. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you hadn't already. It helps to let YouTube know that you kind of like our stuff, and that would be great if you did that. Like, comment, subscribe. Yeah, all that stuff. All that stuff. Link below this video to join our community. That's the big thing that we would like to. And if you are not watching this as a video and you're listening to it, it go to turningprofit.com and you'll see a button on there to join our land flipping community. Well, we're done. We're off to complain about the weather. See you <laughs> next time.
Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.